And as you are, uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, we're actually going back in time a little bit. Uh, as you all know, we had some, some COVID complications last week. Uh, Rob was uh, graciously able to take over, but we had to skip ahead a week. Um, so now we're back on track, so to speak. Matthew chapter 14, um, setting the context just a little bit. Uh, at this time, by the way, the children can be dismissed to learn about worship. Um, but to set the context a little bit, uh, Jesus has just fed a great crowd with, um, with nothing but uh, some fish and some bread. And this was 5,000 men, not even counting the women and children. Jesus has healed up to this point terrible sicknesses, and he's proclaimed his authority even over sins. The question remains, Jesus, if you have the power to do all of that, why am I, my water bottle just fell, uh, why am I still sick? Why, why am I still in these dire circumstances if you have all the power to get rid of them? If you have all the power to heal and to save, why am I still suffering? Let's read Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Hear now God's word. Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to walk, to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we do come before you asking you to bless the reading and preaching of the word. We ask that you would uh, be with the youngest of our worshipers as they uh, themselves worship and, and learn to worship and learn what worship is all about and learn what you are all about. I pray that for those struggling with the brokenness of this, of this world, with the sin that is in this world, including in their own hearts, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would help them to see that you are such a good and sovereign God. And I pray that they would be encouraged this morning to, to persevere, to lean on Jesus Christ, to depend upon the Holy Spirit, and to worship you, Son of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's funny what you get used to. Uh, I grew up in Florida, 
uh, except for three years in St. Louis, I, I've been in Florida my whole life. So when I hear that a tropical storm is coming, I think, oh, it must be summer in Florida, right? No big deal. Uh, even when it's a hurricane, unless it's category four or higher, I mean, Floridians just don't worry about it, right? We literally have hurricane parties, right? Yeah, this huge storm is coming. Come over to my house and play some games, right? Now, if you're not from Florida, this behavior is unusual, right? The non-natives prepare a little bit differently. They either leave town or, or they hoard supplies and they panic and they board up everything. What I'd like to suggest to you is that based on this passage, in the storms that we face in life, Jesus enables his followers to be more like Floridians and less like non-Floridians in the midst of life storms. Why? Because of three things. Because Jesus has power over the storm. Because Jesus is present in the storm. And because Jesus provides everything we need in him. Jesus has power, Jesus is present, and Jesus provides. The first thing that's established in this text is uh, Jesus' power over the storm. You can see in verse 25, we read that Jesus went to his disciples by walking on the sea. He literally has power over the laws of physics. Jesus has power. When Peter asked to be like his master, in verses 28 and 29, Jesus makes it so, right? Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to walk on the water. One word response. Come. So Jesus controls the laws of physics for other people as well. This isn't just something he can do to himself. Finally, in verse 32, when he got into the boat, the winds ceased. That's it. Jesus has power over the wind as well. This only makes sense if Jesus is, as the disciples later acknowledge, the Son of God. You read in Job chapter 9, something that should clue you into this, right? In verse 8, God is the one described as the one who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. In John chapter 1, we read that in the beginning, in the very beginning, was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God. And in fact, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and there was not a single thing made without Him. Of course the winds and the waves and even the laws of physics obey Jesus. He created them. Jesus has power over everything. Now, why are we going over this? Peter here is in the midst of a storm, as are the other disciples. A real storm with real wind and real waves and the real possibility of drowning. And while it's important to remember that you are not Peter and neither am I, it's important to remember that you probably won't find yourself in the middle of a body of water asking Jesus to make you walk on the water. That probably won't happen it's still important to remember that there are, there are storms in our lives. There are things that are difficult. There are dire circumstances that we all go through. And in the midst of that, Christians need to remember that Christ Jesus has power, absolute power over all of them. If he can control the winds and the waves and even the laws of physics, 
He is certainly in control of whatever storms you are currently going through or will go through. It reminded me of, uh, of this movie where um, the CIA is, is training you know, potential incoming agents. And so this class of, of recruits, probably about 15, is, is assigned to, to an agent, an experienced agent. And they're put through excruciating tests. I, I remember this one. They were all sleeping after a few hard days of training. And they thought, naturally, they're sleeping. The training's over. Not so much. Right around 2 or 3 in the morning, their whole room starts filling up with water. And that's part of the test, figure out how to escape. But what they didn't know the entire time was that the special agent right behind the glass, right behind the one-way glass, has a button. And all he has to do is press the button and the waters start receding. Sure enough, they figured it out and everyone was okay. But it goes to illustrate that sometimes we panic. Sometimes we think there's no way out when all along, our Savior, our Creator, our Maker is in absolute control. And to be clear, um, just like that agent, God isn't simply allowing the circumstances that are in our lives. As we just sang, God is ordaining them. And all that God ordains, whatever my God ordains, is right. We often want to be delivered from our circumstances, right? Lord, take this sickness away. Lord, I just lost my job. Take that away from me. Give me a new job. Lord, I'm so anxious. Please take away whatever's making me anxious. Get it away. I don't want to feel this way. But we forget that our God, who knows all things and whose ways are higher, not just different, but higher than ours, is the one who brought those circumstances into our lives. We forget that. To be clear, it's fair, it's fair to pray this way. Christ Jesus himself prayed this way in Matthew chapter 26. When he was in Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Jesus himself prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Take away this, this terrible thing that I'm going to have to go through. But we must also remember, we sh- can and should pray our heart's desire, but we must also remember how he finished that prayer, right? In verse 39, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What if during the storms that God puts in our lives, we didn't leave town, but instead stayed and asked God, Lord, what are you teaching me in this sickness? What if we prayed, Lord, yes, I have lost my job and I absolutely need one to provide for my family, but in the midst of this, help me to realize and to know and to trust that you are the real provider. It's not my job. Help me to trust and know that all the things that my job provides are are good, but they are not ultimate. Help me to understand that you, you are what is worth worshiping and pining over. What if sometimes we didn't pray for God to change our circumstances, but to change our hearts in the midst of them? What if we prayed, Father, I'm so anxious, but if you care 
for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And if you can feed 5,000 plus with a few fish and a few bread, Lord, help me to trust that you will take care of me as well. So in the midst of the storm, take heart, Christian, because as we read in John chapter 16, Jesus makes his followers a promise followed by a comfort. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Count on it. You will. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In the midst of the storm, you can have a bold confidence because we know that our God is fully in control. He has power over the storm. But as God tells us himself in his word over and over again, our hope is not reserved for the future. We have hope right here and right now because just as Jesus has power over the storm, he is also present in the midst of it. Now, uh, if you're reading and paying attention, you might think it's strange for me to use this particular passage to tell you that Jesus is present in the midst of the storm. Uh, after all, look at verse 24, right? Matthew tells us that the boat was a long way from the land. In other words, a long way from Jesus, right? And in the very next verse, we read that it was only in the fourth watch of the night, I'll explain that in a minute, that Jesus came to them. In other words, Jesus was a long way away from them for a long time. So why are we saying that Jesus is present? Well, in Matthew 8, uh, the first time you read about the boat, right? Um, uh, Jesus was there, if you remember, in the, in the boat with them. He was sleeping. This time, as we just saw, he's a long way from them, right? But even more than that, he was a long way for a long time. Um, here's how we know that. Verse 23 says that when evening came, when evening came, Jesus was there on the mountain alone. Now, in the, in the Roman and Jewish mind, evening started at sunset or right around 6 p.m. Keep that in mind. Verse 25 tells us that it wasn't until the fourth watch of the night that Jesus came to them walking on the sea. So you have 6 p.m., the start of evening, and you have the fourth watch of the night. The watches of the night were split up into three hours, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3. So the first watch, 6 to 9, second, 9 to 12, third, 12 to 3, fourth watch, 3 to 6. Why are we doing math on Sunday? Because Jesus allowed them to struggle in the boat for a minimum of nine hours up to 12 hours. Here's why you care about that. Christian, you will have tribulation. You will be persecuted. You will have trials. You will experience the brokenness of this world. And sometimes Jesus feels far away. Sometimes Jesus feels far away for a long time. The beginning of your hope, though, the beginning of your hope and your comfort comes at the end of verse 25. Eventually, Jesus came to them. Came to them walking on the sea. The disciples are, are miles away from shore. They're in the middle of winds so strong that it took 9 to 12 hours and they still hadn't made it all the way, all the way across a pretty small body of water. Think about that. Has anyone ever been sailing here? It, it's not... It's not the laziest of activities, okay? 
9 to 12 hours, they're struggling with the winds. And yet, Jesus is able to get to them. Wherever they are, wherever his disciples are, in the middle of a body of water, Jesus comes to them with no boat. He just walks. Jesus is there with them. It reminds me of what is probably my favorite psalm, Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Some of us have have no trouble believing that Jesus has power over the storms. Our God is mighty. He is holy. He is all-powerful. Amen. Hallelujah. We sometimes have a much tougher time believing that he loves us in the midst of those storms. We sometimes have have a hard time believing that we don't deserve the persecution that comes our way. We feel abandoned, alone, vulnerable. But he is there, Christian. Like a father holding his young child's hand in the street, he is there in heaven. He is there in the depths of Sheol, in the uttermost parts of the sea. He is there. And if you try to escape to the uttermost parts of the sea, good luck, because even there, his hand shall lead you, not follow you, lead you. And his right hand shall hold you, as we just sang, fast. He will hold you fast, Krishna. Look where Jesus is in the midst of the storm in our passage. Look where he is. His disciples are in the middle of a large body of water. He was far away, but does a lack of boat stop him? No, he just walks on the water. Nothing can stop him from getting to you. Peter also walks on water. We read in verse 30. Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, please follow me here. If you haven't listened to a single word yet, please follow me here. It's easy. It's really easy to read this and focus on Peter's faith or lack thereof. Peter had enough faith to walk on the water, but he didn't have enough faith to stay on the water. You just need to have more faith, Christian. Good start, Peter, but man, do better next time, right? You were so close. Jesus even says in the next verse, right? Verse 31, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He even, he even rebukes his faith, right? How can this not be about Peter's faith? Instead of looking to Jesus, Matthew tells us that he looked at the wind. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, Peter. That's all you had to do, Peter. Just have more faith, Peter. You, Christian, have more faith. Don't be like Peter. I've heard this sermon. I have heard that sermon that I just did in the past 30 seconds. It's, it's maybe good advice. It's not gospel, friends. And it's dangerous because it puts, it puts the burden on you. It is not good news. Of course we all need more faith. Who here has perfect faith? Exactly. But the gospel is good news, and we find it in the next verse, verse 31, the one that says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Peter was sinking because of a lack of faith. 
Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And what did the Savior do? Save him. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. You should not read this and walk away thinking that you're like Peter and you need to keep your eyes on Jesus more. In fact, this story is not about you at all. The point of this story is not that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, but that Jesus never took his eyes off of Peter. That is good news. That is the gospel. Jesus is present in the midst of the storm. You will face storms, Christian. You will face either persecution or trials, or you will simply experience the brokenness of this world. Your comfort is not only that Jesus has the power to save. Your comfort is not only that Jesus has the ability to put an end to those trials, because sometimes he won't. Sometimes he'll let you struggle in the boat for 9 to 12 hours. Notice that Jesus didn't make the winds stop right away. Did you notice that? It wasn't until he got back into the boat that the winds finally ceased. Instead, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the storm, Jesus reaches out his hand and immediately takes hold of him. Your true comfort is that no matter the outcome of your circumstances, no matter what you are going through, Jesus is there, he is sovereign, he is good, and he loves his people. Amen. So we've seen that Jesus has power over the storm. We've seen that he is present in the storm. Now hear the good news, that Jesus provides everything we need in him, starting with new eyes and a new heart. Uh, After the last storm in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, the disciples responded in wonder and amazement, right? Do you remember? They said, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know, it's the equivalent of, whoa. That was basically the reaction. It's not quite worship, but it's a step in the right direction. Apparently, the second time was the, was the charm. The second storm was the charm. Because after the wind ceased in Matthew chapter 14, they moved past wonder and into worship, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What changed? I found myself asking that. What changed? It wasn't the miracle. They had already seen Jesus heal the lame, the blind, lepers. In fact, they had even seen Jesus calm a storm by simply saying, peace. So it wasn't, it wasn't more evidence. That's not what changed. What changed was Jesus himself opening their eyes and their hearts to acknowledge what they never could have acknowledged on their own, even with all the evidence in the world, that truly he is the Son of God. Now, how do we respond to Jesus' power, Jesus' presence? And as we'll see in a moment, Jesus' provision of all that we need. How do we respond? Well, like a Floridian in a hurricane, there's a certain confidence, right, that we have in the face of trials. With James, as James says in in chapter 1, we can say boldly that we count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We should face trials with the same excitement my brother does when when, uh, something gets destroyed in a hurricane. Anytime there's a hurricane coming, my brother uh, gets really excited, 
because um, he knows that anything the storm uh, breaks is going to be covered by insurance. So anytime there's a hurricane and something outside gets destroyed, he goes, Woohoo! I'm going to get something new. All right. And so I wonder, in a sense, without making light of the difficult things that we go through, I wonder if, in a sense, when we're going through a difficult season with our spouse or our children, we can, in a sense, say, Woohoo! God is building my character and giving me a glimpse into how much He is patient with me and loving with me. When we struggle with finances, I wonder if there's a sense in which we can say, Woohoo! God's showing me how much He is my true provider and how much all the treasures of this earth are nothing when compared to Him. Woohoo! That's what, his, that's what Jesus was doing with His disciples. He was providing them with everything they needed for the ministry that lay ahead. That's what James and Paul tell us that suffering is for. In Romans 5, Paul writes that we rejoice in our sufferings, right? More than just putting up with them, more than just knowing that they're coming, we rejoice in them. Why? Because we know. Did you notice that word? We know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because Jesus inspires us? Because Jesus motivates us? No. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Please please hear this, Christian. It's an important distinction. I'm not just I'm not just mincing words. I'm, I'm, I'm not just being really specific. This is important. Peter did not walk on the water because he was sufficiently inspired by seeing Jesus do the same. Paul didn't write the letters of the New Testament because he was motivated to do so. You cannot love your neighbor, your family, and your friends the way that God calls you to so long as you have the, the proper motives and the right incentives. You cannot endure the hardships of this life and the storms that will come your way unless Jesus himself enables you. Unless you are provided with everything that you need to do so. Saying that Jesus is your motivation is treating Jesus as if he were glasses. Right? Well, I can already see, but Jesus will help. I can already forgive people, but Jesus motivates me to forgive more. I can already sacrifice my own comfort for the well-being and interest of others, but Jesus dying on the cross inspires me to sacrifice even more. Jesus is an aid. Jesus is, is a little bit of help. Jesus is a boost in that gospel. But the real gospel tells you that Jesus isn't your glasses. He's your eye. You are incapable of seeing without your eye. You are incapable of doing anything without Jesus fully enabling and fully fully providing for all of your needs. When Peter was falling into the waters of the storm, he didn't need the disciples to yell at him from the boat. Hey, Peter, remember last time you were in a boat and Jesus calmed the waves? Yeah, so don't worry. Just stop being anxious. It's fine. 
Peter needed exactly what happened in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 14. He needed Jesus to reach out, grab him, and take hold of him, and to hold him fast. That is what we need. We need Jesus to hold us fast. You need that same salvation. The salvation that came through Jesus Christ while we were still enemies. And now that you are no longer his enemies, we are called like his disciples to make disciples. To make more disciples of all nations. To endure persecution and hardships with joy. To love others even when everything about them is repulsive to you. How can you do that? It's not with motivational speeches. It's not, it's not by being sufficiently inspired to do so. You can only do that because of what we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm not here to inspire you, Christian. We, we, we live in America. You, you can find an inspirational story just about anywhere you look. I'm here to proclaim the gospel truth that in the midst of the storm, you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing that you need. Jesus has provided you with everything that you need in Him. And there is coming a day when there will be no more storms. There is coming a day when Jesus will come back and He will make all things new. And in that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank You. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for providing for us everything that we need. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel, Lord. May you enable us, may you strengthen us to do all that you have called us to do, Lord, because we cannot do it on our own. I pray that these gospel truths would not just be something that we agree with. I pray that they would be something that sinks deep, deep, deep into our hearts. I pray that in the midst of all life storms, we can say as we are about to sing, it is well with my soul, and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.